0: It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M and today we're going to be discussing a little bit about a and success since joining the SEC. Now they've been in the SEC since the 2012 season and uh, I believe it was Saturday down south actually did a column based off the success since the new realignment with Missouri and A&M joining the staff and A&M's record is actually far off better than a lot of people other would have expected. Plus, with the MLB coming back around, we're going to be taking a look at some of the players and who will be on active rosters as of right now for Summer Ball before the final 40-man roster has to be set in stone as baseball returns July 23rd. Before we begin, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson. I am the host of the show and I love public feedback. Anything you can do that can make this show better, I will always take the criticism. So give us a follow at Mr. Cole Thompson, and secondly at Locked On Aggies. Locked On Aggies is your number one source for all things related to Texas A&M content. You can find us here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on Spotify. Like us on Facebook or on social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever you want to do. But more importantly. If you can't do any of that, at least listen to us live every single day here on LockedOnPodcast.com. The 2020 MLB baseball season will be coming back, but it's going to be a little bit different after the Players Association and the owners finally met a deal for the upcoming year due to COVID-19. Instead of the normal 162-game season, each team will play a shortened 60-game schedule with opening days set for either July 23rd or 24th. The games will be played at every team's home ballpark. Now, the rosters will also look a little different this year. With no minor league baseball to be had, there will be now 60 players that can be used throughout the season. Only those players will be allowed to participate in summer training camp as well. So, whoever was asked to join summer ball right now, for the next three weeks, will be allowed to play at some point during the regular season. Active rosters will allow up to 30 players to start the year, then dwindle down to 28 after the first two weeks, then have a final 26-man active roster Two weeks after that, all players added to team's 40-man or active rosters must first be added to the 60-man player pool. So basically how this works is, if you are on the 60-man pool, you are allowed to compete for the 40-man roster. That doesn't mean you are guaranteed a spot on the 40-man roster as you only have 40 spots and 60 players are there. But what it is saying is, if you are part of that 60-man group and you find success During summer ball, when it comes time to release the 40-man roster group, you will be able to see, potentially, your name on that list. And right now, there's 10 Aggies who will have a chance to be a part of at least the 40-man, if not the average, 25-man roster. And it starts off with a bit of a surprise, as second-round pick from this past year, Zach Deloke, who was taken by the Seattle Mariners, is now going to be a part of summer ball camp. For the Seattle AL West club. They signed him last week, and right now he is actually up in Seattle practicing with the team. He is going through ground ball drills, he's taking pop flies, he's going through batting practice. There is rookie ball for DeLock ahead this year, so the club brought him in as a learning experience. This is a guy who I don't think is going to make the 60 man roster. Well, he won't make the 60 man roster, he won't make the 40 man roster because he's so young, but They brought him up they signed into a deal that way he can have his rookie ball he can start seeing the control the velocity uh the types of pitches the curves the sliders the actual mlb speed and then he will probably be done when summer camp is over but he will be a part of the 60-man roster also ryan hendricks A 5th round pick in 2016 by Cincinnati, Hendricks has yet to make his Major League debut. He went 3-0 with a 2-3-3 ERA in Double A ball last year though, and has an outside shot of making the actual roster. Cincinnati has players that are pretty much guaranteed to make the roster and it's great American ballpark, while Hendricks and 21 others are working at Prasco Park in Macon. So, he's actually playing in summer ball outside of Cincinnati. So, this is another guy who I think a lot of people will say, is not going to be on that active 26-man roster for sure, and most definitely will be a long shot to make the 40-man roster. But the former Aggie pitcher has shown promise as a relief pitcher uh, coming out of double-A ball. I think he was with, not Louisville, but another team. I'm trying to remember who the double-A team for Cincinnati is, but he's had some success thus far. This is going to be another fun one to see. Corbin Martin with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The second round pick by the Astros in 2017. Martin actually had five starts for the Astros during his 2019 season. He had to undergo Tommy John surgery in early July and then was traded to Arizona as part of the Zach Granke deal. He was one of, I think, four names involved. Seth Beer, the first baseman from Clemson, was also in that deal. But Martin was kind of the big name. They want to go get a guy with starting caliber experience. And Martin did do a pretty decent job before undergoing Tommy John surgery last year. In five starts with the Astros, he had a one-on-one record with a whip of 1.81. He allowed 12 earned runs while striking out 19, having a 5.59 ERA. Definitely want those numbers a little lower. But when you think about it for a rookie, for a player who was having trouble with his shoulder automatically due to is rotator cuff who undergoes surgery this could be a very big get for arizona and their success who recently went out and signed mass and bum to a five-year extension so this should be fun to see the two of them possibly create a one-two duo in the desert for a while Next up, Daniel Mengden, a fourth-round pick by the Houston Astros in 2014. Mengden was one of the key pieces moved as part of the Scott Kazmir deal. He made his MLB debut in 2016 and has been a part of the A's starting rotation ever since. Magnin is technically still on the 60-day disabled list from spring training, so he's not actively on the 40-man roster. However, this is a guy who 100% will be on the active roster when the season begins and he's healthy. Most people know him for his Raleigh finger-style mustache. He's been very active for the A's since coming to the league in 2016. The past four years, he's been nothing short of at least a quality starter, probably your number four, number five guy. So you know 100% he will be on the active roster when the season begins. The question is, will he be active for a majority of all 16 games? Next up, you got AJ Minter, who was drafted by the Atlanta Braves in 2015. During his time at College Station, he starred as both a relief pitcher and a starting pitcher, but has since settled into the role of reliever since making his debut with Atlanta in 2017. In the past two years, he's combined for 117 games. He's allowed 50 earned runs while striking out 130 batters. Over the past two seasons, he has a 4.26 ERA, but he's also tallied 20 saves, so he kind of can play anywhere from that 7-8-9 role. Your setup man, your uh, I guess you would say your middle relief pitcher, he can come in as a closer. I think more so if it's a closer game to where the closer role is, where, where you see him maybe give up a run, and then it becomes a 7-4 game, so it becomes a closer situation where he gets the save. I wouldn't say in a one-run game you probably want this guy out on the mound, but he still has definitely earned his right to be a part of the active roster. Next up, you got Tyler Naquin. Naquin was a first-round pick number 15 overall in 2012 by the Cleveland Indians. He made the opening day roster in 2016 and was named the American League Rookie of the Month in both June and July of that year. He has battled injuries since though and has a high of 89 games in the majors played in a season, which he did last year. When you look at his stats, since coming into the league, he's played in 19 games in 2017, 61 games in 2018. Uh, For his career, he has 228 hits, uh, 229 strikeouts, 27 home runs, a career batting average of 283. This is a guy who at 29 years old... I think has definitely caught the injury bug. I expect him to be on the active roster as that fourth rotational outfielder. Definitely a guy who can play left field, right field. I think he has the arm strength when healthy to play the center field position. I think he's got good speed. I definitely think he'll be used as a pinch runner at times. Think of a Jake Marisnik kind of player. That's what I think Tyler Naquin is at this point in his career. There's not a lot really to go off of because of you know he's going to catch the injury bug. And those are things that you have to break down when trying to figure out how you're going to prepare for the team. Next up, Brooks Raley for the Cincinnati Reds. Raley was a six-round pick by the Chicago Cubs in 2009. He made his major league debut with the team in 2012, but has not seen much action since. Raley spent a short time in both the Minnesota Twins and Los Angeles Angels organization, but never saw action in the big league. He then played in Japan, but now is back in camp as a non-roster invitee with the Cincinnati Reds. Cincinnati has the players pretty much they all have guaranteed to make the Raw Park, so he's actually alongside former teammate down in uh, Macon, Georgia. This is a feel good story. I would not say he's going to make it. Same with Braden Schumacher. Schumacher was named the uh, freshman of the year at A&M in 2017 and went on to earn All-American honors in his sophomore and junior year. He was then selected in the first round by Atlanta last season. He went on to have a big season in the minors after going pro, making his way all the way up to A last season with the Gwinnett Stripers. The second-year pro is only 22. The biggest thing about him, there's a blockage in the lineup. Ozzie Alves plays second base. Uh, Austin Riley plays third base. You have Dansby Swanson playing shortstop. There's just not enough areas for, I think, Shoemaker to get through. And become a big part of that lineup i expect him to have if anything a chance to make the 40-man roster but that's likely it for now i don't see him going much further than that next up ross stripling in 2012 stripling was a fifth round selection by the dodgers and after going under tommy john surgery early in his career he made his major league debut with the team's opening day roster as the fifth starter but since then he's pretty much been a consistent starter slash relief pitcher he had a big role in both the 2017 and 18 World Series appearance teams. Since starting with the team, the last couple years, four years, he's made 136 appearances. He's allowed 151 earned runs he striked out 377 players 2018 was actually his best season where he had a 302 era striking out 136 batters going eight and six in both a relief role and as a starter last year he kind of played more of a relief role going four and four having a 3.47 era at 30 years old i expect him to stay in that relief role moving forward with his career i don't see him Being that fifth-man starter, I think he just has a better chance of being a long-term reliever out of the pen, especially when you have games that are kind of out of reach and you can keep the ERA down while keeping the scores down. Finally, Michael Walkup. Walker was the 19th overall selection in the 2012 first round by the St. Louis Cardinals. And in his second season, the big league promoted him to the majors in late 2013. He remained a part of the starting rotation all the way until the middle of last season where he was moved to the bullpen. This past December, he was a free agent and signed a one-year deal with the New York Mets. To me, Michael Waka is the name right now I think a lot of people think of when they think of the m stats when they think of players from am who have made their mark since coming to the league he's 29 years old he's had a stellar career he's had one complete game but he's in every single season except for his first year and 2018 he's played in at least 20 games he's striking he's struck out in every year 90 plus batters except for those same years where he had 15 starts He's only had, I think, one losing season, and that was in 2019, actually. And he's averaged his ERA anywhere between 3-2 to about 4-1. He has a 391 ERA. He's a 1.33 whip for his career. He has 759 strikeouts. He's 59 and 39 as a starter. With the Mets, they're a team that I think a lot of people are sleeping on. With a shorter season, I think they actually can be a playoff contending team, especially if it is a seven-team playoff selection, they're definitely not going to win, I think, the NL East. But I think with Michael Waka added to a rotation that includes uh, Noah Syndergaard, Jacob deGrom, and Marcus Stroman, this is a much better rotation. And at worst, he's a guy coming out of the bullpen. While sports is probably going to be returning in the next couple of weeks, right now you've been kind of bored at home and maybe you've had some fun trying to have some at-home projects to work on, maybe like refurbishing an old car. But with all the parts that could cost you an arm and a leg, sometimes it's not worth turning that old 69 Camaro into a brand new stud muffin car. But that's why I like to use rockauto.com. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto part customers online for the past 20 years, and they have everything from engine control modules to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even a new carpet. In fact, Ross Jackson of Locked on Saints had his tailgate stolen off the back of his truck. He went on to rockauto.com, found the exact same tailgate, and installed it himself. The Rock Auto catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and the price you prefer. That's right. You get to help choose the price that you want. Go to rockauto.com to see all the parts available for your car or truck and write in, Locked on on the How'd You Hear About Us page, so they know that we sent you amazing selections, reliably low prices, all the parts you will ever need. RockAuto.com is the place for you and your car today. We're going to be discussing a little bit more about the Aggies and how they fared out since joining the SEC in 2012. Is it a good number or has it been a little lackadaisical? Don't go anywhere, we'll be discussing why we think it's actually pretty positive in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And guys, let me get your opinion on something. Do you love quality podcasts surrounding your favorite sports teams on a daily basis? If so, you should listen to a Locked On Podcast. The Locked On Podcast Network has over two dozen college sports shows, plus every team covered in the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, and highlight information to get you ready for fantasy sports season. So go log on. To Spotify, listen to us on iTunes, or at least listen live here on LockedOnPodcast.com. Every single day is a Locked On Podcast day. In 2012, the SEC decided to realign, adding two new brothers and sisters to the conference with the Missouri Tigers and, of course, the Texas A&M Aggies. And in over the past decade, it's pretty interesting to see how A&M has fared out compared to other established programs throughout the Southeastern Conference. In a recent article by Mark Ibenahe at AL.com, he went over every single team's record in the past decade, and you would be kind of shocked to see how everyone's fared out. Since 2010, Georgia currently leads the SEC East with a 136 overall record, going 58-22 in conference play. However, their bowl game record is a little askew with a 6-5 start, and they've only won one SEC championship that came in 2017. The team has technically been coached by three coaches in Mark Rick from 2010 to 2015, Brian McClendon for the one-game intern in 2015 for the bowl game, and Kirby Smart since 2016. Georgia currently is always ranked near the top of the rankings because of great recruiting classes and a very established run game. They're probably going to be at least the heavy dogs to take home the SEC East title once again. Florida came in at number two with an 81 and 46 record, but they've gone 48 and 32 in conference play. However, when it comes to bowl games, there's no one better than I think you could say Dan Mullen, who's gone six and two as the team's head coach. Uh, since 2010, they've had multiple head coaches. It's actually pretty impressive. Urban Meyer in 2010, Will Muschamp from 2011 to 2014, Jim McElwain from 2015 to 2017, Randy Shannon then took over for four games, DJ Durkin took over for one game, and Diane Mullen has taken over the past two years. South Carolina is actually in third place, which is, I think, a bigger shocker than most people would expect because of their recent trend under the Will Muschamp era. But they've gone 78-51 with a 42-38 conference record and 5-3 and in bowl games. However, they haven't gone to a bowl game in the past two years. Steve Springer was the head coach from 2010 to 2015, with Sean Elliott closing out that six-game internship in 2015, and Will Muschamp took over in 2016. This could be his final season up there. Missouri. Comes in actually with a 58-44 record with Gary Pinkle and Barry Odom being the two head coaches from 2012 to 2015 and then 2016 to 2019. They've gone 2-2 in bowl games, but they have a 30-34 record against SEC opponents. Keep in mind, Missouri also has been to two SEC championship games just like Florida. So they've, they've been around. They've at least been to some games during their run in the SEC. Tennessee comes in next with a 63 and 62 overall record, just teetering at that 500 mark. But in conference play, they've gone 26 and 54 with a 4 and 1 record in bowl games. Derek Julie was the head coach from 2010 to 2012. Butch Jones was there from 2013 to 2017, with Brady Hoke being the interim head coach for two games. And Jeremy Pruitt has been there since 2018. Kentucky, a team on the rise, has actually been a name to keep in mind as they've gone 57 and 68, but have had three consecutive at least 500 win seasons, going 24 and 56 in conference play and 2 and 3 as a bowl game team. Uh, Joker Fields was the head coach from 2010 to 2012, Mark Stoops from 2013 to 2019, and is going to still be the head coach in 2020. Vanderbilt with a 53 and 72 record, going 22 and 58 in conference games, but 2 and 3 in bowl games. James Franklin was the main guy who took over for the roster in 2011. He was there until 2013 when he then eventually took over at Penn State. Derek Mason was the head coach from 2014 to 2019. He's going to be on a run. Now, all of those teams have been successful. In the SEC East. But when you compare it to AM, who comes in on this list as, I believe, the number, technically, three team in conference play, they've had a better record than half the teams in the SEC East. They've had a better record than Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri. And they're right up there with um with South Carolina. When you look at their record, they've gone sixty-eight and thirty-six. That's only in overall record since joining the SEC. They've gone thirty four and thirty in conference games, and they're six and four in bowl games. So the last ten years they've also been to more bowl games in South South Carolina. Their head coach was Kevin Sumlin in 2017 before Jimbo Fisher took over in 2018. The only three schools that are ranked above them right now are who we will be discussing when we come back in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. And make sure you follow us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked On Aggies. A&M has been in the SEC for the past eight seasons. And since their run in the SEC, they've been at least successful. I think a lot of people thought that that transition from Big 12 play to smash mouth SEC top recruiting football was going to do damage, but thanks to the likes of a guy named Johnny Manziel putting them on the map and then adequate coaching from Kevin Sumlin for a little while. Good coordinator overall. I mean, the John Chavis one is all right. I mean, that that's probably the biggest knock. Jake Spadoval was okay for a little bit. I think that Cliff Kingsbury was great, but you look at it, They're ranked 4th in SEC play, and really 3rd because they only include this from 2012 when they joined, but they've been successful. Alabama comes in at number one, no surprise, with 124 and 14 record under the likes of Nick Saban. They've been to, they've won one, two, three, four, five SEC championships, and they probably were almost going to win a six this past offseason, if not for LSU. They've been the national title winners in four years, with 2011, 2012, 2015, and 2017. They've gone 10 and four in bowl games, and in conference play alone, they've gone 69 and 11. So since conference play, They've had three other losses. Two have come to Clemson and one has come to Ohio State. That's how good Nick Saban has been. And by the way, they're the only team on this list who has not changed their head coach. Every other coach in the past decade from all 14 schools has changed it. So that's where you look at the pinnacle. Alabama has been successful. That dynasty, I think, will come to an end in some time during the 2020 era. I I think it has to. Second place right now in the West is LSU with a 105 and 30 record. They've gone 58 and 22 in conference play. They've been the SEC champions in 2011 and 2019. They won the college football playoff and the college football national title in 2019, thanks to the likes of, I would say, Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. Uh, most importantly, Les Miles was the head coach from 2010 to 2016 where he took them to, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was, yeah, They he took them to a national title game, and he also took them to a national title championship, where they ultimately lost to Alabama in 2011. Uh, then Edward took over in 2016, where he brought them back to win their first title since 2007. Auburn comes in at third, but again, this is where the numbers are kind of fluxed. You have to add in A&M's Big Ten numbers, and I think that A&M actually has a better record than Auburn. Uh, in conference play, the Tigers have gone 45-35 overall, 87-45, going 4-5 and and in bowl records. They've been to one BCS national title game where they've won. That was in 2010 with Cam Newton against Oregon. They also went in 2013 and lost in the final BCS uh, national title game against Florida State. Gene Chizik was the head coach from 2010 to 2012. Before Gus Malzahn took over, after having one year of success at Arkansas State, he's been the head coach since 2013. Next was A&M. We already mentioned them. The big surprise: Mississippi State, 79 and 51 overall record, 37 and 43 in conference record. They've gone six and four in bowl games. Dan Mullen was the head coach from 2010 to 2017, with Joe Moorhead taking over the past two seasons. Now you have Mike Leachin. The one cool thing about Mississippi State and the SEC West is while everyone will talk about the Alabamas and the Auburns and the LSUs and the a and of college football, keep in mind that Mississippi State was the very first program to ever be ranked number one in the college football playoff rankings. That is something that can never be taken away from Dan Mullen, from Dak Prescott, from that 2014 team. That's always a stat that just enamelates me because I think it's so cool to see a coach that I think is very undervalued in the SEC earn his key. Next up, Ole Miss. Ole Miss has gone through three head coaches with Hugh Freeze, uh, Houston Nutt, and Matt Luke. They're now on lane train Kiffin. Overall, they've gone 60 and 64 with a three and one bowl record, 26 and 54 in conference play. They've had their years. In the Hugh Freeze era, there were two years where they were a 10-win team. They were never the number one team in the SEC West, but they were number two. So they always competed for a big bowl game, such as the Cotton Bowl, such as the Sugar Bowl, such as I would even I think they even competed in for the Fiesta Bowl one year. They went to two of them. In bowl games, they've been three and one. So they're either a hit or miss team every single year because they've been to two New Year's Six bowl games and they've been to two other bowl games. And since then, they've either been a four and seven team, a four and eight team, a five and seven team, or they're an eight and four or 10 and two team. That is exactly what you get when you get with Ole Miss. Closing out the list, no surprise, Arkansas. Arkansas is 58 and 67 in the past 10 years, 25 and 55. That is the second lowest, I believe, in SEC play behind Vanderbilt. Uh, They've gone 3 and 2 in bowl records. Bobby Petrino was the head coach for those two years in 2010 and 11 before John L. Smith took over in 2012. Brett Bielamo was the head coach in 2013 through 2017. Chad Morris took over in 2018 and 2019. And now you have Sam Pittman taking over in 2020. Basically, when you look at A&M and you look at the established rosters here with Arkansas, with Ole Miss, I'll even throw Mississippi State in because if in the 2010s, they were a pretty stout team. And you look at more of these historic teams, these blue blood, blue collar teams, such as I would say Tennessee and I would say South Carolina for a little bit. They've diminished off and A&M coming from a brand new conference has been good. The only knock that I think people have on a and is Missouri went to the SEC championship game in two of their first three years. And a and still is looking for their first SEC championship appearance down in Atlanta. But when you're playing in the SEC West, a much tougher division that people give a credit for, I think their record right now, I think it's a very sound record. And especially when you've had coaching problems throughout the time, you've also brought home a Heisman Trophy winner, you've brought home like five, I think five or six consensus all Americans, 34 and 30 in conference play, 68 and 36. So six of your losses coming from outside conference play, and by the way, four of them coming in bowl games, it's pretty good. I'd say that's a pretty dang good record over the past eight years for a team that's still considered the little brothers of the SEC. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media, at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. And while you're at it, make sure you're listening to all of our sister shows talking about the conferences, including Locked on Big Ten, Locked on Big 12, Locked on SEC, Locked on ACC, and of course, Locked on Pac-12. Tomorrow, who is the most indispensable player on Texas A&M's roster outside of possibly Kellen Mond. We'll be breaking down who it is tomorrow and why they are such a big X factor to the team's success. We'll see you then, and remember, kick em, y'all. This has been Locked On Aggies, presented by the Lot On Podcast Network.